for just a few moments this afternoon. I'd like to look at a couple of verses from the book of Matthew, chapter 9. If you'd like to turn there, you may. We'll read a few verses there to take our reading from. Chapter 9, verse 35. There it reads, Then Jesus went out, went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered, like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The um, Barna Research Group is an organization that has since uh, the mid-80s, I believe, been involved in gathering and analyzing information specifically as it pertains to uh, um, spiritual matters. I use that term uh, loosely, and especially in the United States. And some time ago, I believe the, this statistic is a little bit dated, but they found that roughly 33% of Americans have no church affiliation of any kind. And that 20% of those who did attend church uh, in some capacity, um, this being just religions in general, that 20% that do attend church believe that just simply living a good life, whatever that may mean to the individual, um, would, would gain them a place in heaven. Uh, given those statistics, and given at this time, I'm sure these have risen sharply um, since this was accumulated and compiled, that tells us that 53% of Americans um, would be lost according just to these standards alone. And this is just a very general religious standards that this survey was conducted under. Um, not organized by the one true church or um, anything like that. These statistics are for those who identify as regular attendees to churches or have no background at all. It does not include um, specifically those who are uh, atheists wouldn't be included in this group. So the vast, vast majority of everyone that we meet in this life is lost, according to the statistics. In our society today, this population of lost souls is growing rapidly, and I would imagine that percentage is drastically higher than what we have here. This is what Jesus said in our opening passage, that truly the harvest is plenteous. There are people who can be reached and there is a work that has to be done. Now, sometimes I fear that one of the growing dangers uh, to the church, I know at least in myself, um, present day is that I have a hard time realizing truly just how important that work is, the evangelizing of our community and those around us and those that we have the ability to reach out to. When Jesus ministered to those around him, he ministered not just to their physical needs and the different ailments that they had, but even further than that, to their spiritual needs. He was able to see into their hearts. When we see Jesus here looking at the multitude, he's moved with compassion. He's moving his heart, gazing out of the scene. He shared the reality of the circumstances with his disciples who were there. An insight that is necessary for us today as well. He needed his disciples to see and to understand the plot of humanity, to know the position these were in and what position that put them in as disciples of Christ. This evening we should be moved 
to the heart as well. So for a few moments, like I said, it'll be a very brief look at these few verses. We'll try to understand this message from Jesus Christ and to try to look at the harvest through his eyes. In verse 36, there it reads, But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Firstly, when Jesus looks out on these people, he saw the pity that was in the harvest. Jesus looks at them and he sees them as they truly were. When it says Jesus saw they were weary and scattered, it doesn't simply mean he saw they were tired from walking and they were scattered around. All of this was probably true as well. He sees that they're weary of heart, that they're scattered. Literally, they are cast out. They had no direction. They had no one to guide them. They had no shepherd. They were hopelessly lost. Can we see the loss as Jesus did? Can we see that you know, behind a family we may look at that seems to have it all together, they, you know, the husband and wife have great jobs, great careers, they have plenty of money, plenty of stuff, they have a nice house, able to do all the things they may want to do, but perhaps they're lost. There are people and families like that all over you know, this town, the state, the country, and the world. If we could see as Jesus could see into their hearts, many times I believe we would see that we see a soul that is lost and is lonely because they too need the Lord. Then you may look over at another family and that would maybe they don't have all the things they may desire in this life, but they get by. But their lives are consumed perhaps with drugs or alcohol or some other addiction that they struggle with. They may be resistant to the gospel. They may be aggressive towards anyone who would uh, think they have a problem or want to talk to them about it. If we could see past all of that, we could look into their hearts as Jesus could. I imagine we would see a soul that was tormented and unsure of what they what they should do, what they potentially could do, lost and hopeless. But they have and they have hope. A hope that according to Romans chapter 15 and 13, we may abound in the power of the Holy Spirit, and that we, we may be filled with joy and peace because our God, we're told there, is the God of hope. What Jesus saw was that without him, that these people were doomed to perish in a devil's hell. It's, he, it's what he wants us to see as well, not only for ourselves, but for others. Without Jesus, our condition is truly hopeless. We must see this harvest in this way through his eyes. Not only did he look at the harvest and see pity, but Jesus looked at and saw the potential of the harvest as well. In verse 37, Jesus notes that the harvest truly is plentiful. While the disciples may have had a hard time seeing past the multitude that was clamoring and trying to push and shove to get close to Jesus, Jesus saw men that were in need of saving, and they were ripe for the picking, as it were. Not just the condition that they were in or the destination they may have been heading, but that they could be delivered, that they could be saved. How do we view those around us? Do we look on those of the world and all we see is their wickedness, and their sin or their perceived sin that we may put on them? Do we look on them as they are and as they seem? Are we looking past that and seeing what their potential is if they become to Jesus? We recall Jesus being with his disciples outside the city of the Samaritans, and these were people who were truly despised by the Jews in Jesus' day and time. They were people who had come come about through the intermarriage of the Jews with those who had been sent to live um, among them by the Babylonians, they, they were looked on as if they were scum, if they were, as if they were dogs. 
It's one of the aspects of the story of the Good Samaritan that makes it so powerful. But Jesus spoke to a Samaritan woman, you'll recall. She was full of sin, and Jesus saw that. But he also saw what she could be. And many Samaritans believed in Jesus then. The harvest truly is plentiful. We just need to see it that way and strive to do something about it. See the harvest through the love of Christ. Jesus also saw the problem of the harvest. All these lost ones, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that's still a problem that we have today. Reaping a typical crop, harvesting produce, produce yielding from a plant is hard work. It's very laborsome. The reaping of souls is no different. It's hard work. You have to roll up your sleeves and get involved in the work. The same idea is expressed when Jesus tells the disciples that he would make them fishers of men. Of course, if you're going to fish, you have to go to where the fish are. You have to go out in the water. A harvest in a garden doesn't gather itself. It would be nice if the corn would cut itself and shuck itself and silk itself, if the, the peas would hold themselves, if the okra would cut itself. But that's not how it works. That would make it a lot easier, but it doesn't work that way. Someone has to get out there and do all that work by hand in the sun. And we can sit you know, in the church building among the church and listen to the sermons given and the songs sang. And that, that helps us, helps motivate us. And we do gain from that. We're able to worship together and worship God. But what about the harvest once we leave this place? We will not see the harvest unless we look to where the lost are. And it's hard work and it can be thankless work. But if workers are not in the field, it will never be reaped. Psalm 126 and verse 26 verse 6 rather he who goes forth weeping bearing seed for sowing shall doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him we should go out to the field ready to, to reap and rejoice with those that we are able to to assist in, fi- in finding Jesus and lastly Jesus he saw as he looked out on the harvest he saw the power of the harvest the first thing Jesus tells those with him is to pray. Why? Because while we plant and we water and God gives the increase, not only do we have to have a work to do, but it's through God that the harvest is granted. He told them to pray that the Lord of the harvest, that be God, would send out laborers to the harvest. And we should be praying that the hearts of those who are lost, that they would search for God, they would be open and receiving to the word of God. We must pray that workers will be sent to the harvest. And if we are sincere in our yearning for the saving of lost souls, if we strive to see the harvest as Jesus does, and if we long for workers to be present, I believe that we will that we will be uh, in, a, in a similar like manner to Jeremiah. And whatever ability, whatever talents God has blessed us with, because we were once lost in our sin and we still struggle, but we have our sins washed in the blood of the Lamb. We've been made clean, much as Jeremiah, you recall, was whenever he had the vision of God on his throne. And he was aware of how sinful he was and how wretched he was. But you recall that the live coal was put to his, his mouth and his iniquity was taken away. And then this man who was distraught just to be in the, to be in the presence of God, realizing who he and what he was, when he saw what had been done for him, and when he heard the voice of the Lord asking the who would go for him, Isaiah cries out, cries out, the one who was 
you know, scared to be in the presence of God, cries out, here I am, send me. Because he knew there was a work to do and he knew there was hope. <clears throat> Can we this evening see the harvest through Jesus' eyes? Can we see the lost souls around us and see that they are in, in need of Jesus? Are we willing to pray for them, to pray for workers to work in the field? Are we willing to roll up our sleeves in whatever fashion we are able and go out into the field of harvest? <clears throat> Romans, last verse I'll read, passage before we extend the invitation. Romans chapter 10, verse 14. <clears throat> how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things.